You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So today is Pentecost Sunday, and much of the Christian faith is repetition, of being reminded of what we know in old and fresh ways. And the Christian calendar leads us to that repetition. And today is no difference because Pentecost Sunday is a big day in the history of our faith. So this Sunday, almost 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, worshipers of God gathered on Pentecost and experienced this outpouring of God's spirit and presence unlike anything they had seen before. And this outpouring of God's spirit and proclamation of gospel interrupted, everybody say interrupted, interrupted Interrupted the agendas, plans, and priorities of every person. And it resulted in forever changed lives and a new kind of community. That's what happened on Pentecost. It's kind of like the church's birthday. But it's far more than that. See, in Acts chapter 2, when we get there, we realize that only seven weeks ago, The disciples' lives and futures were not what they thought they would be. The one whom they had thought would be the promised king of Israel was dead. And the disciples were now hiding out with broken hearts and confused minds. And God then suddenly to them raised Jesus from the dead, appeared to them for 40 days. And over these 40 days, Jesus ate with them, studied the Hebrew scriptures with them, and taught them about the kingdom of God. That's what happened for 40 days. And then at the end of these 40 days, Jesus tells them to stay where they are in Jerusalem and wait for God's promised Holy Spirit. And the disciples who had listened to Jesus teach about the kingdom of God over the past 40 days recognized that the coming of the Spirit is also the coming of God's kingdom, this new way of being in the world. And they knew, they knew that God, they knew that God made promises and the resurrection of Jesus proved that God keeps the promises God makes. So Acts chapter 2, verse 5. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused. Everybody say confused. Because each one of them heard his own language. And they were astounded. Everybody say astounded. And amazed. Everybody say amazed saying, look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus, in Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. Verse 12, they were all astounded and perplexed. Okay, again, everybody say astounded and perplexed. perplexed. It's important, saying to one another, what could this be? But there's always some haters in the crowd. Some sneered and said, they just been drinking. Now I want you to look at verse 12. They were astounded and perplexed. First thing, beloved, disorientation can happen when the spirit interrupts. So sit with that. Then I want you to look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Some sneered and said, tension and conflict may come when the spirit interrupts. It's going to reveal some things. 
Holy Spirit will reveal what's going on in the room. Reveal what's going on in the heart. Expose what is hidden. So what we learn from Acts is that God's Holy Spirit isn't working to secure our vision of comfort. But to secure God's vision of what is good. For each of us. And for all of us. Even if it makes us uncomfortable and disoriented. See, the peace we want comes by trusting the Spirit of God in the midst of the interruption, in the midst of it, not from the absence of disorientation, not from the absence of tension, not from the absence of the conflict that the Holy Spirit creates. The peace that we really want comes from trusting the Spirit when we're in the midst of the disorientation, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the tension, all this disorientation, all this tension, all this conflict arises from the Spirit's inclusion of many and often unexpected ethnicities, cultures, voices, and perspectives that we would just rather not include. That's the text. That's why the text names the names. The interruptive Spirit of God is no respecter of comfort levels, schedules, or agendas. We're reminded on Pentecost Sunday that God's spirit may fit inside our hearts, but God's spirit will not fit inside our preferences. And the text goes on in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you think. It's only nine in the morning always thought that was interesting. Like Peter is saying, if it were 2 p.m., it might be a different story. Only nine in the morning. That is like the standard Pentecost joke, too, right? Like every time the preacher reads that text, somebody's always got to make it a point. But I, I can't wait to ask Peter, Peter, why? Why are you even entertaining that at nine in the morning? On the contrary, verse 16, this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. So this is a promise of a prophet in the Hebrew Scriptures. And this is what it says. And it will be in the last days. So, beloved, we are in the last days. Says God that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters. Everybody say sons and daughters. daughters. Will do what? Prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves. Everybody say male and female slaves. In those days. And they will prophesy. Here it is, beloved. When the spirit was poured out on Pentecost, God interrupted society's organized world. Including the institutions, social classes, and categories of control that organize that world. The spirit disrupts it all. Sons and daughters in a society led principally by men because it's believed that authority and leadership can only come from men are now empowered and equal in leadership and authority because in God's kingdom such gifts come not with gender but with the Holy Spirit. The old and young in a society where it is believed that the old are approaching a kind of uselessness and the young are too naive to be useful are now empowered with wisdom and purpose because in God's kingdom, such gifts come not with age, but with and by the Holy Spirit. 
the slaves, male and female, who are marginalized by the unjust conditions of categories of control in society, left without resources. But when you have the Holy Spirit and you have all the resources you need, including equity and equality, no matter how much the unjust conditions of society seeks to marginalize you, you have a voice. The Spirit of God interrupts our world in order to recreate it to recreate it in light of the vision of God for the world. And that changes everything. That changes me, that changes you. It changes how we operate in society. It changes how we interpret things going on in the world. This should impact how Christians define life, live in any nation. It should. That's what Pentecost Sunday is supposed to do. It's not just about, oh, fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. Oh, like awaken me to something. It includes that, but it's not just about that. That's actually not the point of this text. The point of this text is to remind us that God is creating a new kind of humanity that's going to bust open the institutions and the social structures and the categories of control that the world tries to operate out of, that tries to tell us who we belong to and why we belong to whom we belong. The tribalism that exists in all forms of hatreds and divisions are supposed to be torn down by the Holy Spirit who's supposed to be inside the people of God, working among the people of God. And this is supposed to change everything. So this is the social impact. Everybody say social impact. It's the social impact of the Spirit. And every Pentecost Sunday, I don't want to blow through that. Now we're going to get down into the individual. But the only way that the individual impact of the Spirit of God makes sense is if we first see that it changes how we are supposed to define humanity anyway. The people society says are excluded are now included by the Spirit. The people that society says are down here are now up here. And all things are equal in the Spirit. There is equity and equality and inclusion in the diversity of the people of God from all places brought together by the Spirit of God to be a witness to the world, to be a witness to humanity. And we need the differences. Now, just three weeks ago, I offered the shortest message in my entire life. I preached 11 minutes. So I know last week was 51 minutes, but I remind you that the week before was 11 minutes. <laughs> and I also remind you that I owed you an 11-minute message because the week before that was also 51 minutes. So I want to make it clear. That in the last four weeks of my life, I have preached both the longest sermons and the shortest sermons I've ever preached. Today, I hope to be fair middling, my grandma used to say. But when I did that, we looked at Genesis chapter 1. We went back to what it means to be filled and sealed with God's spirit. And we looked at the Hebrew creation narrative of Genesis. And I want to go back there. So Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So in this very beginning, you know what you see? You see conflict in the cosmos. The earth is formless and empty. It's conflict. That's what the word tohu babohu means in the Hebrew. It means conflict, chaos. But what you also see is contradiction. Because on one hand, creation exists. 
But on the other hand, there is no creation, only formlessness and darkness. There are no mountains, no flowing valleys, no seas or flowing rivers, no life. And within this chaos of disorder, the Spirit of God begins God's interruptive, life-giving, beautiful, powerful work. This is what the Spirit of God has been doing from the beginning. The same Spirit that is poured out on Pentecost. The same Spirit that lives inside you and me. The same Spirit that is bringing chaos and order to a society disordered by its categories of control. This Holy Spirit of God who's bringing peace and harmony to a society that is filled with injustice and hatreds. The Spirit is the same Spirit poured out on Pentecost, willing and always working to give new life. The Spirit is God's powerful presence to work in the conflicts and contradictions of life, beloved. And the Spirit works in the disorder and the order to create a better order. The Spirit works in darkness and light to create greater light. The Spirit works in the barrenness and beauty to create a fuller beauty. The Spirit works in death and life to create more abundant life. The Spirit is God's power always present, always at work in and through God's people. That is the Spirit of God right here in our midst. And a lot of people have this notion that somehow the Spirit of God has to always be like tongues of fire. But when you read the Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God is just present. At work like a hum, just humming along and working in the people of God. Changing us from the inside out so that the society changes from the inside out. So that the world changes from the inside out. The world is upside down. The kingdom of right side up. The spirit is trying to turn it back where it's supposed to be. And that begins with you. Now, on Pentecost Sunday, one of the things we always do here is remember the Hebrew language. So the word that is translated spirit is actually a Hebrew word, ruach. Everybody say ruach. ruach. Now, you'd have to kind of clear your throat, but that just sounds kind of weird when you do a group thing. But ruach. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about this Hebrew word. It is a feminine gendered word. So we know what that means, right? But the Holy Spirit has this she pronoun to it. So the Holy Spirit, this ruach, is this feminine gendered word. And what it means is forceful breath. Everybody say forceful breath. It also means wind. It means a forceful exhalation. So when God's spirit is present, God is breathing life into something. It's the holy breath of God. That's what the word means. Chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis. Then the Lord formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. The word breath is ruach. The spirit as God's holy breath is God's life-giving presence and inexhaustible power. Everybody say inexhaustible power. Inexhaustible power. Inexhaustible power. <laughs> That could change everything. Power, that breathing life into creation, breathing life into you. And that same holy presence and inexhaustible power lives inside of God's people. And on Pentecost Sunday, we need to remember the reality of God's power. Because we all know we live in a society filled with conflicts and contradictions. The conflicts and contradictions of the disorder and order. The barrenness and emptiness. The darkness and light. The death and life. And there, there are going to be times when we feel when we feel as though we're stumbling in the darkness of secret sin, where we're stumbling in the darkness of hopelessness, where we're stumbling in the darkness of hurt. And there may be times when we feel bored with life and we struggle to find any life-giving joy and peace. And there are going to be times 
when we struggle to live the faithful life Jesus calls us to. And in many of these cases where we're struggling in this, in this secret sin and in this hopelessness or in this hurt or in this boredom or in this apathy or cynicism or anxiety, it becomes difficult for us to imagine a new way of life because we get used to what we have. And then... When we become accustomed to living this way, we try to change. We try hard. We try harder and harder. We try to change, and then we try to be enough. And then we get those posts on social media that tell us, you are enough. But despite what we're told on our own, we are not enough. See, because that's the problem. Our mindset is off. Instead of relying on God's power, trusting that God is able, we rely on self-help. We rely on our power or the power of others. And so we don't step forward in faith. We step forward in the flesh. And instead of breathing in the holy breath of God by breathing in the promises of God revealed in scriptures, breathing in the assurance of God's presence, we just breathe in our feelings. Which are good unless they lead us away from the truth of God's promises. And then we breathe in the promises of success and self-sufficiency. And we breathe in the declarations of past failures. And then we live as if we have something to prove in the world. Come on now. Make sure I got your attention. Pentecost Sunday reminds us that we are no longer as we were before we confessed Jesus as Lord. In the resurrection of Jesus, death has died. And when death died, life changed for all of us. The Spirit of God has been poured on all of us. You are welcomed and loved and known just as you are, not as you should be. Whoever thinks you should be, whatever you should be. That is the Spirit's prerogative, not anybody else's. And so on Pentecost Sunday, we are reminded that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And that, beloved, is our gospel position. Everybody say, Christ in me, me Me in Christ. Christ. Beloved, that's your gospel position. See, Pentecost Sunday reminds us that we are enfolded into God's very life and being. The Holy Spirit poured out on us is now God's power in us to live practically what we are positionally. We can live as God called us to live, even in a culture of conflict and contradiction, but we can't do it on our own strength and effort. We live only through the power of the Spirit and choosing to step out each day in the promise of God. Now, I tell you, it does come down to a mindset. So I want to go back to that 11-minute sermon where I used one more text. I don't know how I used three texts in 11 minutes. Theology Thursday came around, and we had to cancel because Mike wasn't feeling well, but Theology Thursday came around, and had about three people say, I don't even remember what you said. It was 11 minutes. <laughs> like, several people said that. Like, I don't even know how to show up to 11. Like, what are we talking about? Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Paul said this. For those whose lives are according to the flesh, which means governed by the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, 
For those whose lives are according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and shalom, life and peace, life and human flourishing. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since what? Everybody read with me. The Spirit of God lives in you. So when you say, how do I know? How do I know if I'm on the mindset of the flesh? You have the Spirit of God. The very fact that you're asking, how do I know, shows that your mind is on the Spirit. Are you with me? Come on, you see the logic? Because a lot of times we stress ourselves out and we go, how do I know? How do I know I'm in the Spirit? It's like when I was younger, I don't know why people would do this, but when I was younger, people would ask me, I'm concerned that I've committed the unpardonable sin, that I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I said, if you, just my very fact that you're concerned that you did it shows you didn't. If you're asking if I'm in the Spirit, then you are in the Spirit because that's the Spirit wanting you to hear that you're in the Spirit. So the very fact that you're asking the question is a good sign. We need a new mindset, beloved. We need a new way of thinking about our lives and our society that lines up with the gospel of God's kingdom as declared to us in the scriptures through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost presence of God. Pentecost reminds us to reset our mind to our gospel position. Say, I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. So I'm going to give you four declarations, four declarations of Pentecost. You ready? Declaration number one, you have nothing to earn with God because God in Christ has accomplished all that is needed to make you God's beloved. So say, I have nothing to earn. You have nothing to earn. In all your imperfection and unfaithfulness, you have nothing to earn because Christ accomplished what was needed to make you the beloved of God. Be free. Be free. You ain't got to pray yourself into the kingdom. God placed you there. You ain't got to study the Bible in the way of the kingdom. God's already placed you there. Now, because you dare pray and study the Bible. But you don't work yourself there. I hope I get to heaven. Think about that language. That's like saying, I hope the blood of Christ is enough. The Bible says that there's been a down payment placed on you. That's what Ephesians says. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of God. God's already paid the down payment. And it's inflation. He ain't paying anymore. <laughs> you, have been, you have been sealed. So number one, you have nothing to earn with God. Number two, you have nothing to fear because Christ has put death to death and promised you'll live in God's presence now and forever. So, so number two, I have nothing to fear. Say it. So what's the worst thing the world can give you? Death. And what did God do with death? Overcome it. Death is dead. Sister Florine Stapleton passed from life to life this week. The last living matriarch and charter member of this church. I was talking with Ron and Sonny, her sons. I said, your mama just changed neighborhoods. And that's what Florine would have said because I've been working with Florine and Jim since I've been here. And y'all remember Jim? How Jim would want to engage me in the middle of a Sunday morning about life and hope and death. Because Jim was so sick, he wanted to die. Because he wanted new life. So when I'd visit Florine and Jim, we talked about the new life that is to come. Number one, you have nothing to earn. Number two, you have nothing to fear. Number three, you have nothing to lose. Because Christ has sealed you with the Holy Spirit and keeps you secure in God's life. So say, I have nothing to lose. So you have nothing to earn, nothing to fear, nothing to lose. Your life is secure. 
So if you have nothing to earn and you have nothing to fear and you have nothing to lose because all that is in the heavenly places has been granted to you through the resurrected Jesus who's ascended Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, then, beloved, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove because God has liberated you into a divine identity with a divine assignment and neither are subject to the opinion of others. You with me? Your life is not subject to the opinion of others, no matter what the talking heads on the radio try to tell you. No matter what your mama and your daddy and your grandma and your grandpa or your sons and your daughters or your friends or your neighbors try to say or your country tries to say, you have nothing to prove. Because here's the problem. When we live as though we have something to prove, we are living in the approval of others. We are living for the approval of other people because now we are placing power in what other people think of us and we are removing the power of the Holy Spirit who has told us what God thinks of us. And when you live as though you have something to prove, you will always then have something to lose. And when you have something to lose, you will have something to fear. And when you have something to fear, you will live your life trying to earn whatever it is that you thought you feared and lost and have to prove. And that is a cycle that was born out of the pit of hell, y'all. It is not how God freed you to live. You have nothing to prove. So where, so all my fellas, where are those Paisley shirts? I got you. I'll wear my Paisley shirt. Last week, Alvin said, is that a suede jacket? I was like, no, I ain't going that far. <laughs> you have nothing to prove. And you have nothing to lose. Because when you have something to prove, it is because you have something to lose. So when you see somebody living their life as if they have something to prove, you are witnessing someone live as though they have something to lose. And when you have something to lose, it is because you have something to fear. And when we have something to fear, beloved, we can't love. Because the Bible tells us that love drives out fear. Fear drives out love. The people of God can't love fully if they are living with a chip on their shoulder with something to prove. The Holy Spirit of God liberates you from that. You have nothing to earn. Christ has earned it. You have nothing to lose, to fear. Why do I fear man? What can man do to me? That's what Scripture says. You have nothing to lose. Because you're secure. And you have nothing to prove. So whatever God has called you to, go on. Let society say what it will. Let other people say what they will. Let the voices inside us speaking lies say what they will. The world didn't give us our gospel position. The world didn't give us our salvation. The world didn't give us our divine identity. The world didn't give us our strength. The world didn't give us our divine assignment and God's purposes. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. The world didn't give you the power of God that overcomes, beloved. And if the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. But hear me out. Don't think you can find it in the world then. Don't go chasing after what the world can't give. Get your jobs. 
achieve your success and your ambitions and all the things that you want to do is fine, but don't chase after something you already have. Learn to live. Learn to live. I say learn. Learn to live with what you already have. You were not led by fear. You were led by God's Spirit. Romans 8, 14. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs. Everybody say co-heirs. Come on now. Co-heirs with Christ. Seeing that we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. You are a co-heir with Jesus. Come on now. That's much bigger than going to church on Sundays. The Spirit is God's powerful presence, able to work in the conflicts and contradictions of life. God's holy breath is longing to breathe new life in and through each of us. To lead us, form us, beautify us, strengthen us in the mind, heart, and soul. But we got to stop chasing after what the world can't give. Capitol Hill ain't going to save us. Calvary's Hill already did. Capitol Hill may mock it up and jack it up and all kinds of things. But we have the Holy Spirit of God working in us, showing us who we need to be despite who is in the Capitol. So we speak truth to power. We do what is good and we do what is right because we have the Spirit of God, because we have nothing to prove, because we have nothing to lose, and we have nothing to fear, because we have nothing to earn. Look, gas is high. And if gas is high for you and you can't get to where you got to go, ask a brother or sister. We got a few extra bucks. Am I wrong? Because that's the economy of God. Everybody putting their hope in an economy. Here's your economy right here in the room. So if you need a little help, ask. Seriously. Because that's what the people of God do. If you need a little help with food, ask. That's what the people of God do. That's who we are. And that, that's who we should be. Because our God has cattle on the land of a thousand hills. Now, we're going to do the work. We're going to do the advocacy. We're going to do the work. But while we work, we know the Spirit of God is at work. In the people of God. So then I had four Pentecost declarations. I want to close with four Pentecost questions. So here's the four questions. And if you have your YouVersion app, all this is on YouVersion if you want it. So here's the four Pentecost questions to help us keep our minds set on our gospel position. Beloved, do we live as though... We have something to earn with God approved to others, or do we live practically what we are positionally, that we have nothing to earn, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to fear? That is a question you and I have to ask of ourselves. Question number two. Do we live our lives relying on self-help programs or empty optimism, or do we live relying on the divine promise of God's spirit of power at work in and among us? A sub-question would be, are we in our Bibles enough to know the promises of God? 
Question number three. Do we see ourselves as a people empowered with a kind of power only God can give, a power capable of interrupting society's status quo preserved by its institutions, social classes, and categories of control. Or maybe a subtext would be, or are we giving into those things because it makes us comfortable? Do we find ourselves defending the preservation of these things because we are afraid that if those things are torn asunder that our lives would fall apart too? Number four, do we believe that we have the power to do the small, the big, the hard, and the good? Everybody say the small, the, small, the, big, the big, the hard, hard and the good. Do we believe we have the power to do that? Just the small, just the little things. Are the big things, are the hard things but always the good things. Beloved, we have the power to love when others choose hate. Will we choose? Do we believe? We have the power to forgive when others choose malice. Will we choose? Do we believe? We have the power to do what is right when others choose what is wrong. Will we choose? Do we believe? We have the power to be a people of peace when the world chooses fear and violence. Will we choose? Do we believe? We have the power to work for reconciliation when others choose separation and fragmentation. Will we choose? Do we believe? We have the power to help those society considers the least last left out and lonely. Will we choose? Do we believe? We have the power to do justice, to join God in making right what has been made wrong. Will we choose? Do we believe? We have the power to deny ourselves and work for the good of others. Will we choose? Do we believe? We have the power to demonstrate to the world what beloved community looks like because we are God's children. We are members of God's household. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom will never be in trouble. We can do the things that make for peace in a society of fear and violence. We can stay put and do the hard work of self-giving love to be a blessing to one another, to be a blessing to our city, and be a blessing to our world. Do we believe? And here's what I want to say. So there's two, there's two applications today. One, you have nothing to prove, so stop. You have the Spirit of God. Receive that. You have nothing to earn. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to fear. So don't. Don't live into other people's expectations. You live by the Spirit of God, and you lean into the people of God to help you clarify what the Spirit of God is telling you, and look in the Scriptures to clarify what the Spirit of God is telling you, and then live in your divine assignment and trust God with the consequences. But don't do it for glory. 
Don't do it to be known because that is the evidence of having something to prove. Do it because it's right. Do it because it's good. Do it because it's just. Do it because it is of God. But the second thing is, are we working harder to preserve the status quo of the institutions, social classes, and categories of control society wants more than we are working to bear witness to the new society that God has created in the kingdom? And that is a different kind of question that we all, I think, have to ask. Because that's what Pentecost Sunday invites us to see. So, if you will stand, I want to offer you a fourfold Franciscan blessing. And you may not like it, but it is a blessing that has tradition and history to it, and it is a blessing reflective of the interruptive spirit of God. So, everybody, your hands open to receive the blessing. Beloved, may God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed with those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that you are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. And the blessing of God, the supreme majesty and our creator, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word who is our brother and savior, and the Holy Spirit, our advocate and guide, be with you and remain with you this day and forevermore. All who receive this blessing will say, Amen. Amen. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 